Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings in our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There you'll also find important announcements along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Hey guys, how's it going? It's good to be with you. Um, Hey, if you are new here, my name is Jared and I'm one of the pastors. Thank you, Hannah, for leading us through that um, time together. So... um, One uh, other quick announcement, highlight is um, May 1st, uh, we're going to be here in this room. Um, It's going to be really important for you to be here. So May 1st is like a family meeting. Uh, We're going to talk about some vision for the summer and into the fall, and we're going to actually have an opportunity to probably sort of face one another in a circle and like have some like real conversation about, about what this church is meant to be and where we're headed in the future what the summer's going to look like, what the fall's going to look like. So make sure you put that on your calendar. We'd love for you to be here. Um, uh, same time. Yeah, same time, 9.45 for coffee, 10 a.m. for <laughs> 10.05 for, for welcome and, and silence. So come for coffee, guys. Um, um, well, hey, uh, one of the most um, important notable themes um, that you're, that you're going to come across whenever you are in the middle of a story is is this theme. You have to go from one place to another. You have to go from one place to another. So if you look at any novel you're reading or any movie that you've ever watched, so like think about a movie right now. How many of you are reading a novel? Anybody reading a novel? Good, we got some novel readers right now. We should like, we should like share what we're reading right now. Um, every story has a similar theme, which is, is characters, in order for them to be likable, lovable, relatable, they have to go from one place to another place. There's this movement in the life of, of stories as they unfold. And the scriptures actually in their entirety are actually telling a very similar story. It's a story of going from one place to another. And our, our life in the present, our life of following Jesus, is really sort of caught up in the same story. It's a story of going from one place to another. And we are meant to be a part of the story that is being told right here. And so some of the things that we're doing together as we open up the scriptures is we're trying to get a sense of what does it look like to look back on the story and to remain faithful to the story that's been told as we are now in the middle of it, as we think about the future. And so some of our teachings will take on the flavor of looking back at the story to try to make sense of it. And some of our teachings are going to try to figure out, like, how do I think about my life right now as I look forward into the story that I'm about to live out? And some of our teachings do a little bit of both. Does that make sense? Today, we're actually going to be doing a little bit more looking back, okay? So it's going to be a little bit looking back at the story that we find ourselves in, because if we don't understand the story that we find ourselves in, it's going to be really hard to think about what it means to be faithful to the story that we're a part of. So all of story is going from one place to another, and the scriptures are no, are no different. And I'm going to basically try to sum up the scriptures for you in five sentences. You ready? Now listen, you could do this in any number of ways. I'm going to do this in a particular way, and um, I just want you to get ready, and we are going to put it up here on the screen. 
The first is that we begin in a place where we have everything we need. This is the garden. This is Genesis chapter 1. We begin in a place where we have everything we need. And then at some point, we reach out beyond what we need to grasp for what we think we need, but we do not have. How many of you can relate to this? You sort of grasp outside of yourself. You try to grasp for what you think you need, but you do not have. And if you actually think back on your life, you'll see this theme show up all sorts of places in your life and actually shows up in the scriptures as well. This is summed up by the story in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve reaching out for the one piece of fruit that God said that they didn't actually need. And what eventually happens is eventually we, we learn that what we think we want and what we think we need is actually not what we really want or what we really need. How many of you have had that experience? You're like, you finally get the thing that you grab onto and you're just like, wait a second, this is like vaporware. There's nothing to the thing that I just spent two months or two years trying to grab onto. And this also is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the entirety, by the way, of the Old Testament scriptures. It's a story about God slowly over time engaging with people, helping them learn the reality that the things that they think they want and need are actually harmful in the long run. And we're going to come back to this. The fourth sentence is this. God becomes a human being to show us how to give up the act of grasping beyond what God has provided. He teaches us how to die to that old pattern of life, and he teaches us to receive a new pattern of life. And this whole story unfolding is a demonstration of God's love. It's a demonstration of God's love that he actually allows us to reach out for what we think we need and to get it, and then to realize this is actually not what I want, because what that does is it actually creates a little cavernous place inside of us where we recognize, like, I still need something. And the thing that I'm desiring is God himself. Guys, this is the story of the scriptures. Over and over and over again, all of the stories of the Old Testament that we think we don't understand are basically about this. People grasping for what they think they want or what they think they need. They realize this is not what I want. This is not what I need. And God is standing there saying, I kind of been telling you this. Over and over and over again. And it's all a demonstration of God's love, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he lets that process unfold. And today I want to talk to you about death. Again, you're like, wait, didn't you just talk about death? And then in two weeks we're going to talk about resurrection on Easter Sunday. So over the past uh, season in the life of our church, I'm going to do a little recap again because it's really important. If you haven't noticed, one of the things that we're doing in the life of this church in our all-church gatherings is that we're building sequentially in teaching. Like I'm trying to paint a narrative for you of what story that we're a part of. And we've been doing uh, this series in the life of our church becoming, called Becoming Human. And I've been asking you to consider the possibility that all of the stuff that you're working through in your life right now, the parenting stuff, the marriage stuff, the singleness, the realities of the hustles of your work, the tensions of community, the joys and the challenge of family life, the decisions that you're wrestling through, like just think a little bit about your life right now and all of the things that you're navigating, I've been asking you to consider that possibly all of those things are like a womb of formation that is teaching you how to become a kind of person that loves the way that God loves. 
that you are not quite yet a human being, is sort of the mental experiment that we've been running, but rather you are in the womb of this life that you're living, and that womb is God's love nurturing you and teaching you how to love in the way that he loves. And when we love in the way that God loves, which is demonstrated on the cross by the giving up of life, we become, we're born again into the life of a human being. This is one of the ways that you can think about the scriptures. What if your life is like a womb? And so in this process, there's a process of death and dying and relinquishing your grip on the things that you think you want and the things that you think you need for God to then place the things that you actually need into your hands. And over the past couple of months, we've been looking at what it looks like to participate in the life of Jesus with the assumption that Jesus is the one who shows us how this formation work is meant to to sort of unfold. We've been leaning into his teachings on loving our enemies and to give and to live generously and to work with our hands uh, in the work of mercy and justice that are out there in the world, loving people in the way that God loves them. And then we finally come to this passage when Jesus is sort of at the height of his ministry and people are wondering sort of what all of this means. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick, the lame, and and Uh, are walking, the deaf are regaining their hearing, the eyes of the blind are being opened, and then he starts talking about heading to Jerusalem to die? Like, what could this possibly mean? He starts talking with absolute certainty that he is headed to Jerusalem to face his death, and he says to his disciples that you too are going to have to take up a cross and die in order to continue following me. And the question that everyone begins to ask, and Peter is bold enough to say out loud, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is what does death have to do with the kingdom of God? How does it even fit into the story? I mean, listen, Jesus, we understand the miracles. Like, we get this guy, John the Baptist, showing up with, like, locusts and honey in his mouth and wearing camel hair on his body. Like, he looks like one of the prophets. We sort of understand. We've seen these kind of people before. We get that part of the narrative. Um, we can actually actually begin to understand, Jesus, how you're reinterpreting the laws of the Old Testament It actually does sound like a better idea to love our enemies than to try to kill them. We can wrap our mind around that a little bit. Um, We see Jesus that the prophets talked a lot about mercy and justice and care for the poor. We're beginning to understand how that actually works in the narrative. But what does the death of the Messiah mean for the story? What does it mean, Jesus, that you're about to die? I mean, guys, have you ever wondered, like, how odd the story is? It's a really odd story. And I suspect that there's some of you right now that you're asking a very similar question in your life right now. What does it mean that this thing that I'm holding in my hand is dying or is dead? Like some of you might be saying something like this. That dream I've been working for, it just died. The marriage that I've been working on, it feels like something shifted years ago, and I can't quite figure out how to breathe new life into it. That career path that I worked so hard to get and actually did get, I finally got it, but then it realized, like, this is actually not what I want to do anymore. 
that family member that you've been praying for or you feel estranged from? Like, God, why can't we seem to connect on anything? Why is there so much distance between us? Why is this happening and that happening? So much of our life is marred by death and dying, metaphorically. And by the way, then there's actual death. There's actually real death where people die. And we uh, are faced with illness and sickness and, and, the, and the reality that we ourselves will, will one day die. There's people all across the world right now dying. I, I'm Surely you guys are following the news about what's happening in Ukraine. Just the images that we're getting from Ukraine right now are just devastating. H- how do we make sense of death in the midst of our life right now when 40 million people are on the brink of starvation right this moment? When there's coming out of a global pandemic and we've got war all the way to the death of not getting into the school you wanted or getting the job that you hoped for or the healing that you've been crying out for. And so our life in so many ways is being swallowed up by death over and over and over again. Can anybody relate to this? Okay. I'm not the only one that feels like death is always in our face. How is it possible that death becomes the center of the story of God's redemption of the world? And what does it actually mean? That's a question I want to lean into a little bit. And guys, we're going to go a little deep today, and I'm going to go a little longer than usual. Could you just hang with me? We've got coffee in the back if you need it. If I start being boring, just feel free to, that'll be my signal, like, okay, you need another cup of coffee. That's fine. So how is it possible that death becomes the center of the story of God's redemption of the world, and what does it mean? And it turns out it means everything. So there's this passage in John's gospel where Jesus uh, enters Jerusalem, and things begin to heat up, and the religious leaders that Jesus predicted would come after him, they begin to come after him. And he begins to set his shoulders towards, towards like, death and dying, And uh, Jesus says this, he says, the hour has come, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the follower will honor him. And then he says this, now my soul has become troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this death? No, this is the very reason I came. And so Jesus' own understanding of his life is that the very reason that he came into the world was to die. And in this, it's, it, this is the moment that God himself took on flesh and descended into creation. This is the moment that it was all for. And all of the Christian tradition recognizes that, that the cross stands at the center of the story. But the question that we often overlook is how do we make sense of the cross in light of the rest of the story that has come before it? And so if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, it's also going to be on the screen, but I've been encouraging you to bring uh, your Bible. I think there is something about holding a Bible in your hands. Um, So Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors 
when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. And from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So first, friends, let me get a little bit of context for what's happening in this book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet and a priest during the time when the people of Israel were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And he lives in the southern kingdom of Judah in the final decades before the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to sort of raid the city and they're going to carry off people into prison. They're going to take people captive, lead them back to Babylon, and everything is going to fall apart. And so some of what we have in Jeremiah is actually recorded before this happens. And, it, and Jeremiah is preaching in a way that says, listen, guys, destruction's coming. Something is going to happen. And some of what we read in Jeremiah happens uh, after this happens. And they're in the middle of exile, and he's trying to pump hope into the life of their, of their imagination. So this, there's this 20-year span where Jeremiah is sort of preaching and being a prophet and a priest, and he's hearing from God in prayer that he is to warn God's people about the ways that they are breaking a covenant between them and God. And then things begin to fall apart. The Babylonians come in, and at the center of this story is this idea that the promise that God made with his people, that he will be their God and they will be his people, that promise is beginning to break down because God's people are not behaving according to the promise. That's sort of, we're jumping into the, the beginning of the story here. And this word covenant um, is something that we kind of need to dig into a little bit because it's not really a word that we use a lot other than the context of marriage, but, but we talk about it in a marriage as a covenant, it's a promise, it's a partnership. And this, by the way, is why in the middle of this passage that we just read, Jeremiah records the words of the Lord saying that God's people broke the covenant even though I was their husband. He basically says that my wife is cheating on me over and over and over again. There's this breaking of the covenant between God and his people. And so this concept of covenant is a major theme in the scriptures because from the opening pages, God time and time again says to the humans, I want to live in partnership with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And I will give you everything that you need if you just do that. And so as the story of the scriptures unfolds, one of his covenants and agreements that God makes is with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your entire family. I just need you to trust me with your life. I will be your God and your family will be my people and I will bring you into your own land where you and your people can settle and the love relationship that I have with your, hand, with your family will end up blessing the entire world. This is the covenant that he made with Abraham. And at the end of Genesis and move into the book of Exodus with the opening of Exodus where Abraham's offspring are beginning to multiply and sort of fill the land in Egypt. And what begins to happen is that the Egyptian pharaoh begins to say, these people are becoming like a lot of people. I'm afraid that they're going to overthrow me. And so 
the Pharaoh enslaves these particular people. And the next covenant promise that God makes with his people is he sends Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of slavery and I'm going to take you into a land where you can settle and I will be your God and you will be my people. And so that's the story of Exodus. So guys, this is the, the theme that goes all the way back to the very beginning of Adam and Eve. He says to Adam and Eve, I want you to be my people and I will be your God. Here's just some constraints that I want to give to you in order for that to actually happen. So the people under the leadership of Moses, they do exactly what the people in those opening few scenes of the story do. They reach out beyond what God has given them and they grasp for what they think they need, but they do not have. They worship gods that are not their own. They ask for kings that they think they need. They fight battles that they, they, they think they need to win. They disregard the very basic ideas that God is setting before them. This is the Old Testament law that God gives to Moses. He says, I wanna give you some constraints to your life. And if you live within these constraints, everything is gonna go fine but they begin to reach outside of those constraints. And do you know what they find outside of the constraints of God? They find death. Over and over and over again, they find death outside of the constraints that God has provided for them. And so, friends, God keeps accommodating. Do you guys know that? He keeps showing up. He keeps reengaging in his side of the partnership, even when the people continue to completely disregard their side of the bargain. And he says that all of those years under this partnership that centered around the law, what was happening is that God was demonstrating to his people that this particular part of the partnership was designed to help people see that the desire to search outside of what God had provided is the thing that leads to death. You can't actually live outside of the constraints that God is providing for you. This is what we read about in the Old Testament. And, and the whole story is basically about this, is that over and over and over again, people are reaching outside of what God has provided, and it leads to death. It leads to death. So they grabbed for what did not belong to them. They worshiped other gods. They married outside of their family. They didn't take care of the poor. They got caught up in riches. They took for themselves more than they needed. They, they didn't welcome and clothe the stranger. And every time they reached outside the constraints, they got confronted with the same thing that Adam and Eve got confronted with, which was death. The death of war and the death of famine and the death of rulers and leaders, the death of their family unity as a people. And so, friends, this is the backstory of when we get to Jeremiah chapter 31. It just keeps happening. And Jeremiah keeps saying to the people over the course of about 20 years, if you continue to live in this way, to neglect the poor and the needy, if you continue to not be about mercy and justice, if you don't live and give generously, if you don't begin to think differently about the way that God has sort of set this thing up, something bad is going to happen. And what does happen is that this Babylonian army comes in and they begin to destroy the city. And this is the moment that we see in Jeremiah 31. The people are at this moment when everything is falling apart. Exile is upon them. Death is upon them. And it's the only thing that they can see right now. Because they're starving, they're in captivity, they're naked. Like their entire 
world has begun to fall apart. And then he says this, even in the midst of everything falling apart, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He basically begins to say is that God is going to do a new thing. He's actually going to make a new covenant that is not based upon all of these rules and regulations and tablets of stone. Uh, he's actually going to do something completely new. And um, when Jeremiah says that he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, what he's saying is that he's going to bring together what has been divided. So the house of Israel and the house of Judah are divided, and this new thing is actually going to bring people together. But friends, not only is, is it, is it going to bring people together, it's not going to just bring estranged family members together. It turns out that this one family, the family of Israel, is where the, the whole drama begins to unfold. But what they begin to discover in the early days after the resurrection is that not only is this new promise going to bring this one family together, it's actually going to bring all the families together. The new covenant is going to bring everything together, all of the families. That's you and I. The reason that you and I are sitting in this room is because a new covenant was formed and we are all now together as one new family. You, you and I are standing here in this church because we are on the other side of this new covenant, which turned out to be completely in line with God's initial promise to Abraham that the entire world be, will be blessed because of you. So, it's going to bring people together, and uh, it won't be with external laws. So, friends, the first covenant was made with these external rules and regulations. These are the things that you can do. These are the things that you cannot do. But the new covenant says that it will not be like the covenant that I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's a covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband. This new thing is not going to be with laws. Why? Because laws, friends, laws are designed to separate people. So if you look at the Old Testament covenant, the laws of the Old Testament are actually designed to separate God's people so that he could form a specific relationship with them so he can begin to love these particular people in hopes that they will then display what it's like to be in relationship with God. Does that make sense? But laws are designed to separate people. And so uh, the laws of the first covenant that God made with his people, they, they pull them together in a separate way. And there was a time in God's story that he wanted this particular people to sort of be separate and to be set apart. And he made a covenant with this one tribe of people to concentrate his love and his partnership on this one tribe to demonstrate what it's like to be in relationship with God so that they can then demonstrate what it's like into the world. So this new covenant is not going to be like the old one, is basically what Jeremiah has says. <clears throat> There's this time in the history of Israel where, where uh, the prophets begin to say that all of this rule-following and rule-keeping is just not working. This is actually not the way that this is designed to work. David, in one of his greatest moments of repentance, comes to the same conclusion. He writes Psalm 51. He says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. 
you're not pleased with burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So, friends, this is why Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of their days. They were caught up in just doing the, the things that were written on the tablets, but it wasn't doing a work in their heart, which is what those things were designed to do. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and your dill and your cumin. Do you guys know they were tithing on their little, like, garden? They would, like, go out and pick mint, and then they would, like, weigh out, like, a tenth of their mint, and then they would tithe it. And God's, God's like, you're totally missing the point of what is happening here. The new covenant will not be like that one that is just on tablets that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. It won't be like a covenant written on stones that ultimately reveals that you're unable to keep it. That's part of what it was designed to do. God, in his mercy, says, I'm going to give you some really clear instructions about how to live in relationship with me. And what you're going to discover is that over and over and over again, you're going to continue to want to reach outside of those instructions, and that is going to lead you to death. The new covenant is not going to be like that because I'm going to expand beyond the walls of this one family, and it's going to extend to all of the people because I'm going to put something inside of them, my own spirit, my very own life. I'm going to stitch myself to people's hearts is what God is saying. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to them to the greatest, says the Lord, because I'm going to forgive their sins and their iniquity I will remember no more. As this is spoken from the word of Jeremiah thousands of years before. The result of this new covenant is that they will know me once and for all. They will know what I am like. And the ways that they have reached outside of the bounds of my provision and all the ways they relied on their own ways, the ways they've eaten fruit that I've said that they shouldn't eat, all of that will be forgiven. That's what's going to happen when the new covenant comes. So this is the vision that Jeremiah gives the people. And here's the thing that I love about this vision is it's spoken to a broken people living under a foreign ruler with the death of this partnership with God looking them squarely in the face. The, the, the covenant with God is beginning to crumble because, because their relationship has, 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 has a breakdown right now. And I don't know about you, but I think that a lot of people can relate to sort of staring death in the face, the death of the things that we hope for or actual real death. Like for so many people, this way of life reaching outside the bounds has ended up feeling like death. And then we finally come to the story that we're jumping back to in Jesus. That's the backstory. And in the middle of this same city that was invaded by the Babylonians in the days of Jeremiah, Jesus is now facing his death. Not because he had grasped for the things outside of God's provision, but because everyone else was in the process of grasping for things outside of God's provision. 
So there was a grasp for power on the, on the part of the people of Israel in this time, the, the Jewish leaders. There was a grasp for power and control by the Romans. And there was a grasp for power and control all throughout. And it's as though all of the moments in history of people reaching outside of God's provision, which the scriptures just call sin, all of the moments from Genesis until now, both within the family of God and outside of the family of God, were being brought to a climax. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And then rather than holding tight to his life and grasping onto what he, what he couldn't hold on to, rather than resorting to violence, which is what uh, Peter wanted him to do. Peter wanted Jesus to rise up and to resort to violence rather than like staying quiet, which is what the Jewish leaders wanted him to do in the face of death on the night that Jesus was portrayed. He took a cup <clears throat> and at the Passover meal, which was a meal that commemorated the people of God being rescued by God out of Egypt, which is the beginning of the story of that old covenant. He took a cup that symbolized the old covenant. So picture this in your mind. He's holding a cup that symbolizes that whole story that I just told you. And he says this. This is the cup that is poured out for you. It's a new covenant, which is found in my blood. Which is another way of saying that the death that, that faces me on the cross is the inbreaking of this new covenant that was spoken by Jeremiah. What is happening is that Jesus is facing his death. And he basically is saying, do you remember what Jeremiah promised? When God is going to do something new. When death will no longer be the thing that stares you squarely in the face and you won't be able to face it. Do you remember what Jeremiah promised? The death of Jesus with all of the history leading up to this climactic moment is a moment where God shifts all of humanity from one place to another place. Friends, death is the one thing that happens to everybody. Just think about that for a second. Death is the one thing that happens to everybody. It's the one thing that everyone is afraid of. It's the one thing that is final and ultimate for everyone and experienced by everyone, not just in their own life when their life ends, but in their own life when the lives of others end or when their dreams die or when their crops fail or when their jobs go away or when addiction takes over. These are all moments of death that we all experience. So death is the thing that is at the end of every terrible path that you and I could possibly pursue. Does this make sense? So here's what's happening on the cross. If death itself could be conquered, if this is the thing staring everybody down, if death itself could be conquered, well, like something new could actually break through. And we're going to talk more about that when we talk about resurrection. So I'm going to just pray. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come as we begin to uh, transition into a time of worship.